the race is on, and the epic battle for the Formula One World Championship will be decided in the season-ending doubleheader in Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi. Max Verstappen holds an eight-point lead, but with Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes on form after back-to-back wins, is this a situation where the driver with a points advantage is only second favourite? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer that question and many more are Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes. Well, Gary, how are you doing? We haven't had you on the F1 podcast for for a little bit. It's a good opportunity because Scott Mitchell's at the dentist, so we've managed to get an upgrade and uh, and get your wisdom on. Yeah, hopefully it's been very painful. So, uh, yeah, I don't like dentists myself, but Scott will be enduring the pain. Um, yeah, it's good to be back on the, on the podcast again. I mean, it's uh, two races to go, so it's all fairly exciting at the moment. So um, the championship's all tightening up quite a lot, so it's... Uh, there's very little to go race-wise, but a lot to go championship-wise. Yeah, exactly. This one feels like it's going down to the, down to the wire, but we'll get into that a little bit. And Mark Hughes, obviously you've been uh, reveling in this season and you'll be preparing to head out to the last couple of races just as I am. It's good when there's a live championship, isn't it? I think this season would have this many races in and after the, the rapid-fire run of races, if it was all done and dusted, this would be quite a painful end, wouldn't it? But as yeah. it is, it's brilliant. Yeah, it would be quite difficult to find the motivation for the energy that you need for this last little bit of uh, slog. But yeah, it is. It's fantastic. It, it energises everyone. And um, uh, I, you know, even though in your intro there you said, um, is, is this the... The case of uh, the, the guy in form being the favourite, even though he's behind on points, I, I'm not even sure I could call it that way because it's been it's changed so many times, hasn't it, from what we're expecting going into a weekend. So I, I'm still expecting it. Um, that there's still a twist in the tail yet. Yeah, that's well, that's going to be the, the place we start, really, because while there is that kind of wide feeling that the championship swung decisively in favour of Hamilton and Mercedes, but ultimately Verstappen could clinch a championship in Saudi Arabia this weekend. It's fairly unlikely it would require him to be first or second with Hamilton having uh, various levels of disaster, depending on where the fastest lap point goes. But to me, it seems all a little bit premature, given we have seen so many regular performance swings this year. As you alluded to, Mark, it's very, very hard to pick a favourite. Yeah, it's vo- it's very volatile, and yeah, the the two cars have got certain traits which um, uh, work or don't work according to the track layouts, and that's the sort of foundation of the the swings. But it it's way more complex than that because as soon as you start getting um, track surfaces and, and how that works interacts with the tires and track temperatures and w- how they've set up the car in one way and the track temperature goes another all all these different things and um, th- there's certain limitations on the, the the setups of each car there's certain places they don't like to be taken to in their setups and how that dovetails in with the particular circumstances of the weekend is just made it wildly wildly volatile and obviously amongst that You've got the question of the two drivers. So you've got car performance and then the, the two drivers, Hamilton and Verstappen, and what they do. But Gary, you've worked with quite a few uh, world champions over the years and a few lesser drivers, shall we say. When it comes to a situation like this, would you prefer Verstappen or Hamilton in the car or do you think that they're just two drivers who are going to rise to the occasion, whatever happens? Oh, I think that would be a very difficult choice, to be honest. I mean, I think you'd prefer Hamilton because he's, he's won seven world titles He's won what is it, 102 Grand Prix now or something. So he's um, he's fairly mature at all that. He he won't be getting you know too excited about it. Whereas this is Max's um, Max's first potential world championship. But you know Max is the one sh- is showing the casual approach to it. To be honest, he's not he's not showing the pressure in any in any way. So he's he's going about his business. I think as um, it's one race at a time, and if he's got more points at the end of the season, he'll win the championship. But each race he's going to, to actually try to win that race. And if he can't win it, he's going to try and do the best job possible. Um, so I, I think either of them, very, very different approaches, but either of them um, deserve the championship. Um, if it was me wanting a driver in the car, as I say, Hamilton's got the most experience, so you'd, you'd think he'd bring it home and... And um, and bring home the championship, but I, I'd rather have Max in there. I'd rather I'd rather see somebody that's going to go and, and fight for it, um, you know, tooth and nail. And I think Max will fight for it tooth and nail. Those last five laps or whatever in uh, Abu Dhabi could be quite uh, quite exciting if it's all down to that sort of little tight battle at the end. But it's going to be down, as Mark says, it's going to be down to which car suits which track. Um, you know, we saw last year in Abu Dhabi the. The Red Bull came on form and Mercedes were saying, well, they hadn't done any development, so that was why. Um, 
But it's you know it's a little bit more than that. I think I think it's, it really is in the background as to who's who's doing the most uh, dotting the i's and crossing the t's. I wouldn't say development because I think they're past that stage. But there's a lot of little um, sort of nuances in the car that you can tidy up, especially if you haven't been throwing new parts at the car over the last few races, because you get to understand the car, the stable package of the car, a lot better. And I think it'll be who can get the most of those right on a given day so uh, it's not over by any means it does feel looking at the drivers like you've got two who right now are eminently capable of, of being world champion i mean in terms of the way they're doing things for example coming into the season we were asking how verstappen would respond to being in a championship fight and he's been superb in that regard he's taken the second places on the days when he can't win He's generally won on the days when he can. Okay, early in the season, there are a few very minor little errors here and there, nothing enormous, but he's just seemed absolutely like he's born to fight for a world championship, which I think we kind of half expected, but until you've seen someone in that situation, it doesn't happen. But then again, Mark, we've seen Lewis Hamilton, particularly the last few races, just on absolutely imperious form, hasn't he? You know, the storming drive in Brazil. He seems to be at his absolute best. He's even talked about the fact that he's feeling better than he's felt all season. Obviously, he talked earlier in the year about still feeling a little bit missing something after COVID at the back end of last year. It should be said that people have interpreted that as long COVID. He didn't specifically say that, but he he did feel that he wasn't quite at his best for the first part of the year. So you, we've also got two drivers at very different stages in their career absolutely at the top of their game if you if you equalized all the other factors car performance conditions and all that kind of thing it's very very difficult to say whether one or the other is better equipped in this pressure situation yeah i, I fully agree I, I i couldn't call it um and you know we're as, as part of the job we're invariably asked to come up with a top 10 and, and to justify our order and i i, I don't know where i'd put it at the minute i don't know between between those two um so I think the fact what Gary was talking about there earlier on that the teams are understanding their cars more as, as the development has stopped, that applies um, particularly to the Mercedes. And I think um, they've probably, in that gap between um, Mexico and Brazil, we, we saw them take a step change. Now, yeah, part of that was the new power unit. We, we know that. Um, but it doesn't explain everything. And I think um, they... They had a, they did have a fundamental rethink on setup going into Brazil, and it was the, they, they picked Brazil to do that because they felt they underperformed there last year, and they they felt that they were just going there with the wrong baseline. And so, I think whatever they've done in terms of that has allowed Lewis to get access. It may not make the car any quicker on paper, but I, I think it's allowed access to places that he wasn't able to go with what they had before and then it's just um the way he wants to drive a car he's been i mean i've interviewed him at the end of the season for the last three four years and a constant theme has been how he's been pushing the aero team when they're discussing the following year's car can we can we push it more in this direction in terms of aero balance and more in this direction and eventually by last year he felt he had a car that was absolutely perfectly suited to what he the way he prefers to drive and he said that the new regs, the 21 regs, completely destroyed that and they were almost on from scratch. And not in terms of um, how much performance it took from the car, although it did take performance from the car, but in terms of what he could get from it. And I think he's now in that sweet spot where he's the car's getting somewhere close to how he needs it to be to, to actually extract all his best. I think Mark sort of to concrete what you're saying there about the driver in the car, you know, the two go together so are so important. And I think Red Bull are a very good example of that. You know, Max Verstappen and Red Bull, no matter where he goes, is is a rocket ship. His teammate, no matter who it was, Pierre Gasly, Albon, or even Perez now, you know, they don't suit that car just as well. So out of the car, although, you know, the two cars should be the same, Max can use his expertise or his talent to extract more lap time out of it. And then Lewis, you have to look at as being the same. Lewis has got expertise, but they're probably specialised a little bit. And that's whenever it comes to, instead of battling closely with your teammate, um, give the take the direction of the setup a bit more towards your driver that you feel has got the performance in it. And obviously that's uh, that's Lewis at Mercedes. So by adapting their setup a little bit towards Lewis as opposed to just a general best setup for that car, it can make you can get big inroads into it and, and you can get a lot of performance. You know, the driver is still 
a major, major part of uh, of the lap time. Oh, and we've also seen with these two drivers being so well in tune with the car, pushing each other on the performance level they're both achieving. It is remarkable. We saw in Qatar they vanished off into the distance. Yeah, okay, some of the usual suspects had delays and were down the grid and that kind of thing. But Verstappen and Hamilton, Mark, were in a class of their own, weren't they, in, in Qatar? And this is probably going to happen in the last few races, just as, as it has for most of the season, with those two pushing each other on. They know they can't leave anything on the table. That, that's a characteristic of these these quite rare title fights that are really proper duels between two drivers in different teams. Yeah, we've seen it a, a, a few times in history, haven't we, where when it's identified who the, the the two contenders are, when it gets to the crunch time, they do seem to step up and sort of pull away from the field together. And I think, yeah, we we definitely see an element of that um, in the, these last few races. And it was exaggerated a bit in Qatar by the fact that the, the guys in third place and back were trying to make... Uh, what they felt was going to be a very marginal one-stop work, so they were managing the tyres a lot, whereas both um, Mercedes and Red Bull felt that it was they, they could comfortably do a one-stop, so they weren't shy about pushing on, and they more or less pushed, Lewis and Max more or less pushed each other into a, a two-stop because of the pace they were running as Max would you know attack and Lewis would respond, and it, it, that sort of took them in that direction. So that pace gap looked outrageous, but it wasn't quite as you know, as stark as that. But there's definitely an element of them um, just stepping up another gear as we get to the crunch stages, yeah. And that's the thing you really want to see in this. I find it funny when, in certain corners of social media where you've got the most sort of extreme fans of both sides, you see them talking up the, the driver they're the fan of and almost talk down the other. But I see it as you've just got two drivers who are performing wonderfully well, two teams that are pushing each other so hard. that, that That's what you want to see, isn't it? it it's, it's a competition of of equals effectively absolutely going at each other and that that's what's been so so wonderful about this season uh, but Gary let's look a bit more in detail at, at, at the car performance side we've touched on it already but Mercedes has had great form the last couple of races Red Bull won the two races before that and after the USA and Mexico everyone was saying oh Verstappen's going to waltz into the distance he's got this one then it swung the other way and everyone say oh Hamilton's uh, got it one so w- what do you put those swings down to? I think one of the first things we've got to sort of look at is the, the problems that Red Bull have been having with the rear wing and DRS and, and whether that's led Red Bull to actually having to run different wings on the car. You know, it's be very easy because going away to a three race, a three race, um, three consecutive races, you know, you only take a certain amount of kit of bits with you. Um, and it could be very, very easily led them to run a higher downforce level or a lower downforce level i'm not sure which or you know a different configuration rear wing for for a given circuit than what they'd like to run so i'm not 100 percent sure that the red bull have actually got full potential out of their car in those last three races as such but especially you know the, the in the in Jeddah, the la- or the in um the last race so i think we have to wait to see albeit saying that you know mercedes have had this what looks like a reasonably trick rear suspension, allowing them to reduce the drag, which has allowed them to run higher downforce levels, which obviously through the twisty bits is better. Uh, for the for the tyres in the race, it's better. So I think Mercedes' development has been positive in the effect of getting the tyres working earlier uh, and getting the tyres to work longer and the fact that they can get the straight line speed to an adequate level relative to uh, the downforce level they're running. So question mark over Red Bull as far as getting the, the, the best performance out of their car, but definitely a positive um, improvement for Mercedes. So if they can continue that into these next couple of races, it's it's, it's going to be amazing. This, this, you know, this next track coming up, new track, very fast, sweeping. It'll be very interesting to see um, top speeds at that track relative to the downforce levels that the teams are running. Yeah, I think um, that that is... In fact, what happened in Qatar for Red Bull in between Saturday FP3 and qualifying, they um, did change the wing. They put on the big Monaco Mexico um, wing, which they hadn't used at any point throughout the weekend. And you can only assume that was because they, the, the 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 problems with the other one, which probably had them running a, a less than ideal downforce level. 
Coming back to that that DRS problem, because we haven't talked about that at great length on this podcast, Gary. Obviously, you did a, a good piece explaining what you thought was going on with the, the flapping DRS for Red Bull. Obviously, some people thinking there's some trick going on there, but it does seem to be just a genuine problem they've got, doesn't it? It does seem to be a genuine problem. I don't, I don't know why you would do anything like that to actually try to get performance out of it. Because, you know, whenever you're trying to do something with airflow, you want some sort of consistency into it. Um, and if a thing's moving around like that, you, you have no idea where it is at any point in time. So for sure, um, the, the stiffness of the DRS relative to the load in the flap um, was wrong. And you could see them fighting it. I mean, they were, they were changing bits right up to the last minute. So there was no um, there was no real idea of what was going on or they would have fixed it very early. But they didn't manage to do that. So as I say, as Mark said there, they ran a higher, higher downforce w- wing. And that's just because of geometry that um, the RS opening device, obviously with a lower downforce wing, wasn't wasn't really working as well as it should have done. And it's it's hard to simulate that sort of stuff because no matter how much you open and close it in the garage, it's fine. You know, it doesn't have that that airflow fluctuation. So um, I, I think we have to wait and see. Um, obviously, Jeddah should looks like it should be a, a lower downforce um, setup than we've we've seen in the past because of the three uh, DRS zones and a very 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 fast track. So it'll be interesting to see what the wing levels for both the Mercedes and the the Red Bull end up like there, um, and hopefully they got the DRS system fixed. And Mark, just on on car performance, do you think there is such thing as a as a best car over the course of the season you can point to out, out of these two, or is it? It's been so fluctuating that it's just been a best car at a given time on a given circuit in given conditions, hasn't it? Yeah, I think it's that. It's it's that. Um, you know, you might be able to make a marginal call when we get to the end of Abu Dhabi, but it really has been so close, and there's been some. You know, there's been some points in the season where it looked as if the Red Bull was going to be definitively the faster car at the start of the year. And then Mercedes has come back and then Red Bull came back again, that sort of France-Austria time. And it looked as if, yeah, now now it looks like the Red Bull's pulling away. But then be, Mercedes did the big Silverstone upgrade. And again, the, the Mercedes has probably had the edge since then, but not everywhere because you go to high downforce track and the Red Bull's still faster. Um, so no, I, I couldn't call it. It really is. Um, I think sometimes it's not even a matter of merit, which car's faster on the day. It's just a matter of look what the temperature does and what the track surface is like. Yeah. We've seen that often with, the uh, the track temperature Red Bull, for example, struggling sometimes to get the, the front tires in the, in the window and sometimes dropping temperatures in qualifying made an impact. Silverstone was a very good example of that in Verstappen's case, but that's, that's the great thing. It's it, because it's turning on so many small things, it becomes a real test of both team and driver in, in, in every aspect, which I guess is uh, what we really want to see in a championship. Yes. It's sort of down to one of those sort of things Ed. balance of a car is the most important thing. And, you know, a little bit of higher downforce or a little bit lower downforce, most drivers, you know, they'll put up with that. Um, and the lap time won't be changed very much at all. But you know, if you haven't got the balance, if the front end doesn't bite, as you say, with the tires, if they don't work immediately, if you can't get the bite out of the fronts, that is much, much worse than a little, little bit of the wrong downforce level. So it'll be down to whatever car can maintain the balance to suit the temperatures, the ambient temperature, the track temperature. And also, you know, we're heading into a track now that's not been raced on, so it's a brand new surface. Um, so that'll be an interesting thing to see how that surface reacts with the tires as well, because it's, you know, it's, there's a lot of new things there. It's not just going to a new track; it is actually a new track as well as going to it for the first time. Interesting to to look at, Gary. Obviously, you've run cars for for many seasons in Formula One. When you when you get say twenty races in, and you know you've got certain weaknesses and certain conditions that that play against you. Is this the sort of point where there's just nothing more you can try? You just have to say, well, we just know that the car isn't great in these conditions and we just make the best of it. Or will you still be scrambling around trying to look for some magic bullet that might be able to fix a problem that seems to have been there all year? Uh, I don't think you're looking for a magic bullet. What you are looking for is the fact that you, you never give up. Um, one of the things you've got to be very, very careful of is to make sure that you don't try to fix the negatives, which you've proved all season longer more or less unfixable, but you focus on the positives and try and make them a little bit better. Someone that Eric Senna used to say, you know, it was about identifying which corners in the track he was, what he classed perfect in and what corners he wasn't. 
then leave the perfect ones alone and go and get on with trying to be better at the other ones. Instead of just treating the whole lap as a blur, you actually put to bed the good parts and work on the bad parts. And it's the same with a car. You know, you, you, you have to keep an eye on those bad parts and try and improve them because you'll get a bigger return. But if you spent the whole season um, trying to fix them and haven't, then you've got to think at some point in time, I don't want to throw away, you know, two tenths of a second in the good parts of the track for the car just to gain a tenth in the bad parts for the car. So, you know, you've got to be very, very balanced about how you uh, how you approach it. And by this time of the season, you know, most people will know the bits that work, what you get a response out of on the setup, you know, whether it's, for example, you know, stiffening the front springs or stiffening the front roll bar. Uh, there's, a bit, there's a big difference in how they work but one of them will respond more, the car will respond more to it. So the teams will know which area the car to focus on to try and get the best out of it. So it'll be, it's easier now that saying it wasn't the first four races of the season. You know, the first four races of the season, you were still learning about what you had. Now you've you've done all that learning. You just got to just dot the I's and cross the T's and make sure you, you get the best out of what you have. Well, let's move on to the circuits, Mark. We've touched a little bit on the Jeddakal Niche circuit that will host the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. We've also got a modified track in, in Abu Dhabi. If you had to go with which cars those should favour, how would you look at it? A lot of people have argued Saudi Arabia should be good for Mercedes, but there are a few contrary views on that. On paper, yeah, Saudi looks um, tailor-made for a low-drag car which the mercedes is a lower drag than the red bull and some of those corners look flat out so if you if it's a flat out corner you you don't get paid back for the, the any downforce advantage you might have you you just you're just faster through them because the car just sees them as a straight so yeah perhaps on paper uh that 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 looks like it favors mercedes a little bit but you know just needs the the, the surface not to be quite right for their front tyres and the Red Bull to be working and for a key corner to turn out to be a, a, a one of the slow ones and then the Red Bull suddenly can do a different setup and switches it on. You know, it's not, I don't think anything's cast in stone this year between the, the two cars. So, yes, on looking on paper at that layout, you would say probably Mercedes. Abu Dhabi, the, both, the, they've both been good there in, in the past and I think... Um, that looks very, very evenly matched. You, you, you've got the, you know, the flowing first sector, um, and then you got the very sort of street circuit-like final sector, which is, um, you know, that logically is Red Bull territory. That final sector. So, yeah, on just an initial sort of cursory look, you'd say is Saudi probably Mercedes, Abu Dhabi very equal. And do you think, Mark, that Abu Dhabi will be changed by some of the little track tweaks they've got? Obviously, the that sort of first chicane's gone and then it just goes straight into a hairpin and they've they've changed the profile of, I think, the corner at the back end of the, the second straight. So there's a few little changes here and there and some some camber alterations. It hasn't fundamentally changed the track, though. No, I, I don't know. I don't really know how it would um, affect the balance between the two cars because it's, it's so delicately poised anyway. Um uh, yeah, I, I think the, the changes that they made to the circuit look um, look good in terms of uh, getting some um, better racing, but um, in terms of how it will affect each of the two cars, I, I have no idea. Yeah, if anyone wants to have a look at Abu Dhabi, there's a, a video that Karin Chandok has done, uh, Yes Marina Circuit Track Guide with Karin Chandok. If you have a look on, uh, on YouTube, you'll be able to find that there to see what's changed. But Gary, when you go to these, these new circuits, obviously the Saudi circuit very new they're still finishing it as we speak so the data available for that circuit is going to be very limited obviously there's all sorts of simulations that can be based on the the data of the design of the track so they're not going in completely blind but how difficult is it when you go to a completely new track or in the case of Abu Dhabi go to one where there's been a few little changes to a very well-known one um I think that what I used to push the drivers to do was to go to every track thinking it was new because it's so easy to get into the same rut as you normally do driving the car that you drove last year. And the car is usually very different, how it rides the curbs, how it comes off the curbs, the traction. Everything's quite different because it's a different car you've got in, in reality. So each, each track should be, in my book, addressed as a new track. You have to go out and experiment with the curb use, uh, where you can run wide, where you don't run wide. Um, 
just so an all new experience. So I think going to um to these last two races, that that's even more important to be honest, because Saudi obviously as you say, Jeddah track, it's a new track. It's it's got some very fast sections. Um but once again it, if you look at it, it's it's got no room for uh, for error. Um you definitely get it wrong there and you're you're battering yourself against the walls. So although the, a lot of the corners Mark said will be will be sort of a straight line to the car. It's it's all a flowing circuit, you know, take from turn two turn to turn twelve. It's you don't want to get off off on the wrong line there because if you do, the track will be dirty because it's new and you can pay the price pretty quickly. You won't have to worry about getting done for uh, for running wide. You'll you'll get done for taking two wheels off the car probably. And the same on the way back again from I don't know, turn fourteen, right back to the um to the start of the section three, it's uh, turn twenty-four. I think it is. You know, they're all a nice big slalom. Some of it will be flat-out straight-line jobs, but so you've got to learn about all that and how the flow is, um, and also the fact you know how you, how you cater for getting offline a little bit. And as I say, every track that I've ever addressed to drivers is about going out there and take it as a new challenge, learn about it again completely because you've got a different car, and it'll it'll ride curbs differently. Its aerodynamic characteristics will be different. And if you if you go and as I say and think that well I've been around here a hundred times before, and, and it's always been a a problem that we've had going to Barcelona because we'd arrive in Barcelona, uh, you'd done a thousands of laps around there usually testing before you you went there racing, and suddenly it's just like you're you're in this rut you're driving down the motorway you don't you don't do anything different you just drive what you've got and as I say every time you go there different setup different track conditions hotter colder whatever when they're um you've just got to experiment all the time to find the, the 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 exact correct line that suits your car and obviously mark if if the title does go down to the wire in abu dhabi which it probably will do not necessarily your first choice of circuit for an epic title showdown we have seen i think three title deciders there in the past obviously the 2010 one the famous one when alonso got stuck behind vitaly petrov after making a, a relatively early pit stop responding to fernando alonso the 2014 one which was the double points one where rosberg had the failure and thankfully the double points factor didn't change the uh, the outcome of the championship and then we had the one when it was all about Nico Rosberg winning the championship and Hamilton trying to back him up into the clutches of others. Quite a tense one there. But it it's not necessarily your first choice for a, for a, a title showdown, is it? No, if you, if you ask me which it should be, it would be the Suzuka just because of the, the, the challenge of the, you know, the driving challenge and it would be um, suitably suitably challenging place or Interlagos, which is usually has the, the drama and the, the overtaking. But yeah, we've got all we've got and we'll still get a good tense uh, title battle there, I'm sure. Yeah, and there are places you can overtake there as well. So I think it would be a mistake to assume it would be automatically uh, processional. Uh, but the other thing we've got to uh, consider, Gary, is the number two drivers. We talked about how Hamilton and Verstappen have pushed each other on. There have been a few occasions when Valtteri Bottas and Sergio Perez have had an impact, but it's been rare. Do you, do you think they're going to be anything other than bit part players, or do you think there'll be a chance for one of those two to to play a decisive part in swinging the the title drivers' championship? I'm talking about. They're obviously constructors' championship. They'll they'll play a big part because it's so close that 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 they could decide that one. Well, you know, it's been very seldom this year that we've seen all four of those drivers sort of in battle. Um, I'm not quite sure we've ever have seen them all four, you know, in, a, in an intense battle. So, obviously, if it, if it does happen, if they do get up there, still Hamilton and, and Verstappen will be allowed to or will um, be able to dictate the beginning, the front of the race. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if you know if somebody like Perez, for example, could could lead with Verstappen third and Bottas second, or how that would all unfold how what the team orders would be like through the through the old intercom you know the, as far as the teams are concerned they are allowed to control their drivers Bottas is leaving and going to to, to Sauber Alfa Romeo next year so maybe he wouldn't listen so well on the radio um, maybe he would but, but you know he has done things in the past that um and he has said things in the past that say, hang on a minute or two, if I can win a Grand Prix, I'm going to try and do that. 
So that that'll be interesting to see. Perez obviously is driving for Red Bull next year, so he he will help, and he's publicly said he will help. So that outcome will be interesting. But we mustn't count out the others. You know, for Ferrari are not slow, um, and they have been on occasions right up there. McLaren have seemed to have lost their way a little bit, but because they've lost their way a little bit, they'll be pushing pretty hard for these last couple of races to get the the winter momentum you want. So don't count them out either. We know Lando Norris can do an excellent job. Um, and Danny Ricardo, you know, he's he's got to prove a point pretty soon as well. So it's not just going to be about the number twos, I don't think, because as I say, in the normal trend of things, the, the, the two top teams, their number twos will do what they're told to a certain extent. But it's never somebody else starts interfering with it. Uh, it would be interesting to see now. You know, whenever you, the reality of it is we've got four Honda engine cars out there, four teams that are... Uh, four cars that are actually financed by Red Bull. So they've got a call of a, a pool of four cars to use whatever delaying tactics can happen. But for Mercedes, you know, they've got uh, eight cars. So it could be a whole interesting, a whole different interesting um, avenue. But would Aston Martin possibly? Would McLaren? I don't think so. Um, would Williams? I don't think so either respond to a, a, a quick old phone call from Total Wolf. Um, that's going to be very interesting because obviously the more cars there are where you're, that you've got a little bit of control over, the more hurdles and stumbling blocks you can put in on the way through for somebody that's done an early pit stop or whatever. So um, I think team tactics are going to come become a big a big part of this, but um, I'm interested to see how that that will unfold. I hope it doesn't. I hope it is just a straight race between the two championship contenders uh, with good backup coming from their teammates. Um, But at the end of the day, you never know. All's fair in love and war, especially in Formula 1. And on that topic, Mark, obviously the fastest lap point has become more and more a sensitive issue. Uh, I, I've never really liked the fastest lap point since it was reintroduced. Gary's been, been critical of, uh, of what's happened with that as well, and rightly so. But this is the almost the extra confounding factor, isn't it, that could make the team tactics much more varied because you can have up to a two-point swing between drivers based on the fastest lap, plus you have the other alternative, which is just taking the fastest lap point off one of the two contenders if you're an affiliate, a teammate, or I don't know, an Alpha Tauri driver or whoever. There is a scenario where this gets quite silly at the end of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, isn't there? You could have the two title contenders at the mercy of what's going on elsewhere with others attempting to to grab the fastest lap point. Yeah, that's that's true. It um, introduces a random element, which um, some might like. Uh, I'm not I'm sure I'm not that big a fan of it. I don't think I'm a, as, as um, opposed to it as, as um, some, but uh, yeah, it, the, the, the way the way it's been in the last few races because of Hamilton Verstappen sort of being so far clear of everyone else, it's whoever's in second can get the fastest lap and whoever's in the lead is trapped in that position and can't. So, yeah, it, it's it's sort of had the effect of narrowing the points advantage that w- the, the, the winner can get over the second place guy. But, um, yeah, it, it, it could, as you say, it could go any number of random ways according to uh, what's going on behind them. Yeah, it's been a funny situation this year. Hamilton and Verstappen have got five fastest laps apiece, but a total of seven drivers have have had it. So Bottas has got four, Perez has got two, Gasly's got one, plus the two McLaren drivers have got have got one apiece. So it, it is interesting to see how far people will go in terms of uh, getting helpful other teams uh, involved. And I, I kind of hope it doesn't come down to the the fastest lap point because what what I don't like about it is it's so situational and. Yeah, there are positions where, as you just explained, Mark, the the driver who's winning just is just completely barred from being able to to get it. And other situations where just whoever's done worst out of the leading teams is often in a position to do it because they're at the back of that lead group and they've got a space to drop into. So yeah, it's a, it's a very very strange one. The one topic we've got to address, Gary, because it's been a, a talking point this year, is what might happen if the two of them, Hamilton and Verstappen, were to cross swords on track in a in a final race decider. Obviously, they've collided twice. We had the extra controversy at Interlagos at Turn 4, which seems to have muddied the waters in terms of what you are or are not allowed to do in in defence. I think kind of everyone hopes that it doesn't go this way, but we have seen this in the past. It's always been a big story when when it's happened. So what do you think the chances of it coming down to something like that on track and how far one or the other driver is willing to go? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing to say because, uh, you know, it has happened in the past and uh, the end result has always been the fact that, you know, the guy with the points advantage at any point in time can be a bit more robust than the guy that has to catch up the points. At the moment, that's in Max's favour. And I think, you know, I don't blame Max for what he did in Brazil at all, but I think that was part of his decision. You know, going into that corner, we all looked, at, did he straighten the steering wheel up? And we all said no. Um, but he probably could have, you know, tightened the steering wheel up a bit and made that corner if he had, if he'd hadn't, if he'd been in a, a points disadvantage at that point in time, he could probably have done that. But he didn't have to because he just had to ride the storm. Um, and as you say, that has now caused a bit of controversy as to what what is acceptable, what isn't acceptable. And I don't know, I don't blame the Stewarts, I don't blame Michael Massey, I don't blame the FIA, I don't blame anybody. But the whole package of how the, the race is is managed and controlled needs reviewing dramatically. Um, from from circuit usage to runoff um, to penalties for you know going off the track, all that sort of stuff needs managed needs a good look at and a rehash because it, it definitely is not consistent enough for anybody to understand, um, consistent enough for anybody to know what they can get away with or not get away with. Um, it needs to be much 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 more black and white. Now, this is an opportunity to do that. Let these two races go with more or less the, the grey areas still there that, that we have this season, but make sure it's tidied up for next year because it must be tidied up for next year. It isn't adequate the way it is. Um, and as I say, I don't think either of the drivers can go in there knowing exactly what they'll, they'll get away with or what they can do. Um, I don't think either of them will want to hit each other um, dramatically. But as I say, the guy at each race meeting on, on the Sunday afternoon that is in the point has got the points advantage will have the biggest muscles and his elbows out the furthest um and that's that's the way it's going to be you know and the other driver needs to respect that i think we saw that with lewis in, in brazil he did respect that going into turn four he knew that or he looked and saw that max was running wide and was able to sort of run wide with him so i don't think it's the end of it by any means but i just don't want to see it the end result of the championship being a collision. Um, I'd rather see a good, hard, solid race with a little bit of what happened in Brazil going on, you know, a little bit of muscle used, but not to the extent of um, driving each other off the road. Yeah, I think that's what most people will be uh, will be hoping for. Though, as I wrote recently, I think the if there, if it was to end in a controversial collision, I don't think that would be as bad for Formula One as people make out because it would just be such a huge talking point. But it would be frustrating. But Mark, given that everything that's gone on this year, the war of words off track, etc., the the uncertainty, you know, we've got the majority of drivers in uh, in Qatar were genuinely baffled about what they can and cannot do. The conditions are there for it to be quite messy, aren't they? That you almost feel like kind of hoping that they get through these last couple of races and then they can reset for next year on what is and is not allowed. But sometimes, kind of fate doesn't allow you get to get away with that, does it? Yeah, that's sometimes how it can be, and it, it j just because there's a collision doesn't necessarily mean in in racing that it has to be someone's fault. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just dirty driving. But you, you can have a situation, and we've seen it. We've seen it several times with those two this year, where one guy is not prepared to back down, and neither is the other one. And they they are both fully legitimate, um, and you know. The, the, perspectives for that driver to have it's not dirty to say no i'm, I'm going to turn in I, you, you're going to have to get out of my way and for the other guy it's perfectly legitimate for the other guy to say no i'm not backing out of it you're going to have to give me room and they're, they're both legitimate and there's no regulation that says they have to 100 percent agree on what they're going to do through this corner but that's very different from saying no i'm going to drive into you uh, that's a that's a different thing and that's that's the call that the stewards often have to make and if it was decided in um, contact, it's, I wouldn't have a problem with it as long as it was that type of um, one guy refusing to back down and the other guy refusing to back down. That, that that's just I wouldn't have a problem with that. That that's just um, racing, and that's the it has to be settled somehow, and then you can get into that situation where it it, it can only be settled like that. But um, if it's uh, yeah, if it's a more blatant foul, then no, that would be unsatisfactory. And you'd be then in the horrible position of 
maybe the championship is going to be decided on a steward's decision. And that's uh, nobody wants to see that. So, Mark, Mark, saying that there, where do you see the Silverstone Cops incident then, where neither of the two of them are going to back down? Yeah, I thought that was a racing incident. I thought that was a, um, I think at the very last second, Lewis did try to get out of it. And I think that probably reduced um, the, the, the size of the impact. But uh, no, I, I had that down as a racing incident. What about you? Um, yeah, to a certain extent, I suppose I had. Um, it, at the end of the day, it's about survival, isn't it, these guys? Um, and I think the consequences of any accident need to take a, be taken into account, not just the fact that they touch, touching it, whatever it is, 160 mile an hour in cops is a, a bit more dramatic than a, a 60 mile an hour corner. But I think that at the end of the day, um, you've got to find a line that allows the race to be conducted as a race. I mean, it's a bit like football. You know, if the last guy standing up to take a penalty for the World Championship or the World Cup, wherever it is, kicks the ball and suddenly he finds the ball's flat and all the rest of them have scored goals and he's the one that loses because the ball's flat. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of an event. Yes, as, as, as Ed says, it'll get a lot of column inches, but at the end of the day, that's not what it should be about. We, we, we want the, the guy that wins the world championship to be the best driver. Um, and if it's, if it's, if it's because of muscle and elbows out a bit more than, than the other one, then I'm not sure you get the best result. You get the, the best banger racing. Uh, and I don't really want to think Formula 1 should be about banger racing. I think they should be able to race. They should be able to be competitive with each other. But I think whenever it comes to um, hitting each other, I think that's a bit too much. Just because of stubbornness, I suppose. It's the same deal. There's always somebody going to be in the lead at a point in time as far as points are concerned. And as I said earlier, I mean, he or the driver that's in the lead with a few more points can have the elbows out just that little bit further. Uh, so it's up to the other driver to always back out of it. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I don't like the argy-bargy of bumper cars. Mm. I think we saw, um, you know, we saw, the way we saw Alonso and Hamilton race in Hungary when um, Alonso was keeping Hamilton behind him to keep him off Ocon's back. There you saw a sort of, an understanding between two drivers in the way that they would race. And they were able to race very hard, even at the point where they, I think they rubbed tires a couple of times, but it, there was nothing there where you would say it was, was controversial really. Um, but I think if the other guy decides I'm not going to race that way, it, it, it puts, it puts you in a very difficult position and it, you, you end up having to be either saying, okay, well, I will always back off or well, no, I'm not going to back off this time. So I don't, you know, I think where the stewards have to make that difficult call is between that and something where it's it's much more cynical. And I think that's that's the, the dividing line. Just going back to the Silverstone incident, cops. I mean, that, the thing I thought about it was because that was on the first lap. It just it just took away what could have been a fantastic race. It just that was it. It was lap one diluted completely. Um, and that, that I don't like to see. I would rather see the race. Yes, if it happens in the last five laps of the race, a little bit of a battle going on and a bit of wheel banging, fine. But to do it at the first, on the first lap, um, it, just, it just takes away from what the spectacle should be. Yeah, it just comes down to that question of where where is the give and take in these in these things. And also, how do the drivers react to it? You know, we've seen in the past certain drivers, Michael Schumacher is the classic example. Um, obviously, he had two controversial title-deciding incidents uh one of which he prevailed from the other of which led to him being excluded when uh, Villeneuve won the championship in 97 but I don't feel those sorts of things were, were premeditated they were almost a, a consequence of the intensity of the situation because it comes down to a you never really know what's going on in someone's mind but I don't think he went into the race thinking if this happens I'll do that I think it was just that that kind of desperate drive to win and prevail and you almost get the wires crossed shall we say and it's like well this is the only only option then it becomes such a sort of subconscious thing so it'd be fascinating to see how Verstappen and Hamilton react in those situations yeah we can have some preconceptions about how they might but this is ramped up to the to the the next level but yeah like like Gary I'm sort of hoping it becomes a uh, a clear and uh, and fair battle and yeah if there is a if there is a controversial incident that it is at least in the the kind of gray areas uh, should we say rather than something extreme 
Well, there are a few other things to be decided, Gary, in uh, the final few races. Battle for third has been an interesting one. Ferrari seems to have prevailed over McLaren now. Not quite a done deal. Nothing special by Ferrari standards, but would you be feeling quite confident about them for 2022, given the progress you've seen from them this season in terms of getting the results and the, the hybrid improvements they've made? It's a positive trajectory, surely. I think it's a positive trajectory, but obviously the regulation change for 2022 is a massive thing. Um, so to feel confident in any, any team, I think, would be would be unwise. Um, every team's going to have to find their feet because it's not about taking a car that you've got um, and and bet, making it better, you know, within the same set of regulations, within the same aerodynamic characteristics or even mechanical characteristics. You know, everything is changing from, from the, you know, the going to the 18-inch rims, or 18-inch rims, yeah, I think they are, um, you know, going to the bigger rims, um, so different tyre stiffnesses, different things you can do within that rim as far as the suspension geometry is concerned, how you do the suspension geometry. Um, so it's aerodynamic package, aerodynamic characteristics are going to be vastly, vastly different. And every team's, well, I believe every team's building it blindly. You know, there's 10 teams out there building... 10 cars um, to a set of regulations that are fairly descriptive. Um, you either, you're either going to end up with everybody finding the right out the same avenue and arriving with, you know, 20 cars on the grid at the first race that all look the same except for the color scheme. Or you are going to find teams that find those little eances that makes a difference. Um, it, it's difficult to know which, which team will do that. A small team, you know, Williams, Alpha, I mean, any of them could find that you know that magic um, direction and build a fantastic car. Um, so I don't think we can count on anything for 2022. And Ferrari is, is, uh, is as good an example as anything on that. I think with their engine problems that they had during 2019, when they were deemed to have been um, a bit near the mark with their interpretation of regulations, uh, all that's behind them now. And, and the direction they've taken now is brought them in line with the other teams. I don't think they're at a deficit anymore. Um, so that that's you know that's a that's a positive for them to be honest. But now it's going to be down to the chassis and and, and trying to match up to Red Bull, Mercedes and potentially a few others. Nobody has got the the magic ticket to success. It's all about hard work in the winter and uh, putting together the best package. And Mark, in terms of that battle between McLaren and Ferrari, McLaren's pretty much imploded in that, haven't they? They've had four points across the triple header, a multitude of reasons for why that happened. Bad luck, mishaps, unreliability. You know, the car pace wasn't stunning. What, what do you make of what's happened to, to McLaren? Yeah, I think it's a, partly it's been the improvements in Ferrari's consistency since they got their power unit upgrade. And I think that's made them much more robust in their um, competitiveness and uh, partly as you say yeah just things just not quite going right the the the, the points tally um since well that that monza um sochi period where they were flying uh it, it makes it look worse than it actually is but they definitely lost something as well and um yeah i'm just looking at that layout and uh in, in in Saudi and thinking that looks as though it might be the sort of track which the McLaren might fly because it's, it's it's quite low drag relative to the Ferrari, and um, it's it it can you know it can even um, sometimes in, in qualifying get into territory of the the big two. And the other battle that's still to be decided in the top half of the constructors' championship is that one for fifth mark between Alpine and AlphaTauri. Strange battle that one because you've got AlphaTauri that's had a consistently quick car, but seems to have found all sorts of ways not to get the points it should have done. And you've got an Alpine team that seems to be all over the map. One day it's not making it out of Q two, the next day Alonso's finishing on the on the podium. So how do you make sense of, of the performance patterns we've seen there? I don't think Alpine really know when, why they're quick when they're quick and why they're slow when they're slow. That's the impression you get from talking to both them and to Alonso and, um, you know, asking Alonso the question in Qatar, he more or less said, uh, I, it's, I guess it's something we should be looking at, but it's um, it's almost too late now. It's almost irrelevant. And so, yeah, it's just, I don't think they've ever properly got on top of that car, but they have got two um very classy drivers um maximizing what's what's there and um alpha have only got one 
So I think that's really probably defined the the, the points position. Yeah, I think I think it's it's right in what you're saying there, Mark. You know, between Alpine and Alpha Tori, I don't think either of them really know why they're good in one day and, and not so good in the other day. I mean Alpha Tori obviously have shown it in performance on, on a one lap and qualifying very, very good was was Gasly. But um and even Sonoda, you know, has been getting in the top ten. But then come race day, it's been a disaster for them. So very uh for two those two teams are I think an exception to the fact of success one day and lack of success the next day has, has been their season uh, as a whole so they need to really dig deep and find out why because it can very easily continue into next year if it's something you're not doing right uh, come race day then it's um, you need to know about it because it's, it can help you next year to make those decisions slightly differently but Gary if you if you're running a car and over, over a season and you get to the end of November and you don't really understand why it's working one day and working another what 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 does that mean can it really be that extreme will you have suspicions about why it is will you be scratching your head would you be particularly worried because that at heart that does show a certain lack of understanding which would concern me because obviously that means there's there's a gap in your knowledge and that knowledge base is what leads to your car design and development path yeah it would it worried me as well many many times you know you, you look at it for your own reasons and say well okay you know, those guys are throwing bits at the car. We're not. They've got bigger budgets to spend more on development or whatever. But you, you know, you want you want to really make sure that you put you put yourself in a position where you understand why it is, and that and that could be just your development um, parts. It could be anything. But this season, most teams from mid-season will have sort of shut down uh, quite a bit on on. Um, adding bits to the car because of focusing on next year. They'll all be dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And I, I suppose if you look at, um, at Alpine, it could be a bit like uh, Mercedes in the fact that they've, because they've done that and they've, because they've stabilised a little bit, they've been able to sort of improve their setup to suit a bit and, and probably go along as well a little bit more because it doesn't matter, I suppose, is the best way of putting it. The thing with... Uh, with Alpha Tori that would worry me is the fact that they're very, very quick in qualifying. Um, and yet, you know, the, the race result looked at the last, you know, last weekend. Um, very quick in qualifying, the race was a disaster. So that that's a bigger problem to me than having a, a slightly different approach weekend to weekend where you get it right one weekend and you don't the next because you go into a different track. But from day to day getting it wrong... That's a that's a bit of a worry to be honest, because that means you have a very total lack of understanding of the car. Um, so I think it's always important to to sort of give yourself the confidence that you know the decisions you're making. It's always important to make those little steps in certain directions that give you confidence that that allows you to make decisions for next year's car, because that's what it's all about: is understanding that what you're doing is basically as as cars responding to it and then for next year you can make better decisions so yes it would worry me a bit but um end of the day only within the team will they know whether or not they're you know they're in that position i suppose yeah i guess some of that will be answered next year when we see how strong the 2022 alpine and alpha tari packages are so there's plenty to be decided in the last couple of races. Thanks very much to Gary and Mark for your insight on the title battle and a few of the outstanding matters. Do head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there from Gary, Mark, Scott Mitchell, myself and the rest of the team. Do also check out our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s and the Race IndyCar podcast and also try out our YouTube channel as well. We're now going to turn our attention to the last couple of races of the season and we'll be back soon with everything you need to know from the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. <laughs> 